Chapter Six of The Road to Mandalay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Smiling Jane. The Road to Mandalay by Blithia Mary Crocker. Chapter Six: An Empty Offer. The night that Shafter subsequently spent was wakeful and seemed endless. He tossed about on his hard bed and thumped the irresponsive pillow, paced his room from end to end, drank all the water in the carafe, and even encroached on the ewer. He felt as if his vitality had been sapped, that he had no energy with which to face his new position. Nothing to which he could look forward, nor gleam of hope, and, as it turned out, no appetite for breakfast. Seated at table, he proved infectiously depressing and gloomily silent. On the way to the underground, Sandy Larcher, who happened to be in exuberant spirits, noticed his cousin's grave face and chaffed him about Cassie. Sandy. A coarse-grained creature knew no reserves, did not profess to be a gentleman, and had never heard of the word tack. And so you couldn't sleep for thinking of her, eh? Ate no breakfast, only a bit of toast and half a kipper, quite in a bad way, poor old chap. Come now, Sandy, none of that," angrily protested the victim. You are a sensible fellow, though you do play the ass, and must know as well as I do myself that you are talking through your hat. I swear on my word of honor, I have never made love to Cassie. I would as soon think of making love to the parrot next door, and I have not the remotest idea of marrying her. Imagine. Marrying on a hundred and fifty pounds a year. Oh well, I couldn't face it myself, old man," generously conceded his companion. "But the mater and the girl are dead nuts on the idea. They are awfully fond of you, and say you are so mortal clever, so well bred, and such top hole style, that you are bound to rise in the world. And Cassie is getting rather long in the tooth." Of course, I know as well as if you told me how she rushes a chap and writes silly notes, manicures his nails, and gives him flowers and cigarettes. She overdid it with Freddie Soames and got the knock, and now he is formally engaged. I expect she is mad keen to show that two can play at that game. I'm not for it, and that's certain. Declared the other with an emphasis that was almost violent. I like Cassie right enough as a cousin, but I'm not a scrap in love. Why, we've not one single taste in common, bar tennis and walnut pickles. I hate saying all this to you, old man. It seems monstrously caddish, really. Oh, don't apologize," interrupted Sandy. I know Cassie and her little ways. You are not the first by a long way that she's tried it on with. 
Couldn't you drop her some sort of gentle hint? Do like a good chap and say a word to my aunt? I would stay away from Monte Carlo, only that I'm drawn to play in this confounded tournament. No good. They wouldn't listen to me. You must do the business yourself, Douglas, old man. Come on, hurry up, or we'll miss our train. And Sandy began to run. Shafto had not long been perched on his office stool and invested in his office coat and paper cuffs when he received a message that Mr. Martin, the head of the firm, wished to see him in his private room. This is the limit, he said to himself as he followed the messenger into the cool, luxurious apartment. Now I'm going to get a slatting over that French correspondence, and it was Fraser's job. Well, if that's the case, I'll enlist. I'm sick of this life. He found Mr. Martin temporarily idle, seated in front of his large writing table, scanning the financial news. He raised his eyes as Douglas entered and said, Hello, that you, Shafto. I have something to say to you. How would you like a little promotion? Very much indeed, sir, he replied after a moment's hesitation due to amazement. You've been over four years with us as correspondence clerk? Yes, sir. I believe you know Mr. Terman here. Yes, so do I. He had called here to see me about you. What would you think of going abroad for a change, say, to Burma? Burma, yes, sir. All right, assented Shafto, with a glowing face. Something within him had always craved for the East. It's like this, continued the other, leaning back and placing his fingers together, tent fashion. Our house in Rangoon wants a smart, healthy young fellow, quick at numbers, and able to manage bills of lading. You would soon pick up that. It will be chiefly an out-of-door job on the wharves. I would like that. The pay offered is 400 rupees a month, and house rent, not much, I admit, considering the fall of the rupee and Rangoon prices but we have been compelled to modify expenses. Our profits are run so fine, thanks to an active German merchantile element. Well, what do you think, Shafto? Shafto thought Mr. Martin a species of genie, who was offering him a magic carpet that would transport him into the great, hurrying, active world, into the land of sunshine he had longed to see. He would have jumped at the proposal if the salary had been halved, and he replied, I shall be glad to accept. Then that's all right. I was afraid you might have some ties to this country. Of course, in time you are bound to get a rice, and I believe there are boarding houses in Rangoon where they make you fairly comfortable. When do you wish me to start? As soon as you can get underway, was the unexpected reply. One of the Bibi line sails on Saturday week, and that brings me to another matter. 
you have to pay for your own passage and outfit. The passage money is 600 rupees. The outfit, good English boots, cool clothes, a solar topi, and a revolver, and a medicine chest might come in handy. No doubt, some of your relations will help or give you a loan. You see, you are getting a big rise and a capital opening in a new line. That's true, sir, replied Douglas, whose face had considerably lengthened. But I'm afraid I cannot manage the ready money, near a hundred pounds. Is my salary paid in advance? No, that is out of the question. In a province where cholera carries a man off in a couple of hours. I'm sorry about the passage. At one time we did pay, but now we have to pinch and consider our expenses. No doubt you would like to talk over the matter with your people? Well, yes, I should. Thank you, he answered, staring fixedly at the door. Then let me have your decision before mail day. I may tell you, Shafto, that irrespective of Mr. Temenhir's interests, you have given us entire satisfaction, and for this chance, and it is a chance, you have only yourself to thank. You can take a couple of days' leave and let me hear from you definitely on Friday morning. It was only eleven o'clock, an oppressively warm July day, and Douglas walked up to Lincoln's Inn's fields, took a seat in the cool shade of the finest trees in the largest square in London, and there endeavoured to think out some plan. I say, what a chance, he muttered to himself. What a stroke of luck, a new start in life offering change and freedom. Yet he must lose it, and all for the paltry hundred pounds. Paltry, no. To him, it represented a huge and unattainable fortune. There wasn't a soul from whom he could borrow. Not from the Tebs, nor the Temenhees. And his associates at Malahide were, with one detestable exception, as poor as himself. After long meditation, entirely barren of inspiration, he went down to the Strand and lunched at Slater's, and then took the tube to Bayswater Public Library, where he got hold of some books on Burma. Burma, the land of the pagoda and golden umbrella. Somehow, the very name fired his imagination and thrilled his blood. After sitting in the library, Greedily devouring information, he strolled back to Lincoln Square in time for dinner, and all that evening he kept his great news to himself. It would have seemed natural for an only son to carry such important tidings to his mother, but Mrs. Shafter was the last woman to welcome his confidence. She was entirely without the maternal instinct and armed with a certain fierce reserve, held her son inflexibly at arm's length. A stranger would scarcely have discovered the relationship, unless they happened to note 
that the pair walked to church together on sunday and that she pecked his cheek off a night before retiring as a matter of course she made use of douglas and insisting on maternal claims trust on him disagreeable interviews sent him messages borrowed his money when short of change and allowed him to pay her taxis honestly she did not care for the boy he was too detached and self-contained he had such odd ideas and resembled his father in many respects especially in appearance though douglas expression was keener and more animated he had the same well-cut features fine head and expressive dark grey eyes yes he recalled too forcibly a dead man whom she had neglected detested and deceived and as for douglas for years he had been sensible of the smart of a baffled instinct a hunger for a mother's love and affection which had never been his and never would be his in the drawing-room after dinner the boarders were amusing themselves as usual and making a good deal of noise yet somehow the circle presented an air of rather spurious gaiety mrs safto in a smart black-and-gold evening frock was smoking a cigarette and playing auction bridge with mr levison and two japanese the mrs smith and the various casual boarders were engrossed at coon can another group was assembled about the piano douglas shafto sat aloof in the window seat absorbed in the book on burma and acquiring information for even if he were never to see the country it was as well to learn something about it rangoon the capital that fact he already knew once a mere collection of monasteries around the great pagoda was now assumed to be the liverpool of the east the resting place of buddha's relics and an important industrial centre as his reading was disturbed by the boisterous chorus at the piano and the shrieks of laughter from the coon can set he tucked the volume under his arm and slipped out the room as noiselessly as possible he could rest at peace up in his cock loft and endeavour to puzzle out some means of reaching the land of the golden umbrella even if he worked his passage as a cabin steward in passing the door of mrs malone's den some strange unaccountable impulse constrained him to knock yes he suddenly made up his mind that he would confide in her and why not she was always so understanding sympathetic and wise in reply to a shrill come in he entered and found the old lady sitting by the open window with a black cat on her lap the room was small and home-like there were some shabby rugs a few fine prints a case of miniatures and in a cabinet a variety of odd bits which mrs malone had picked up from time to time 
so it's you douglas she exclaimed come over and sit down i'm always glad to see you you know you have the private entree and she laughed what have you been doing with yourself today as he muttered something indefinite she added what's your book holding out her hand burma i declared one does not hear much of that part of the world it's always connected in my mind with rice and rain douglas suddenly raising her eyes i believe you have something on your mind what is it come now speak out is it a love affair or money you know i'm safe thus invited in a few halting sentences he told her of his friend's good offices the offer his supreme delight and subsequent despair a hundred pounds yes well that's a tidy sum she admitted and you will want all that i think gregory and company might pay your passage as the salary is not large no agreed shafto but i'll be only too glad to earn it it's this blessed ready money that stumps me he began to pace about the room with his hands in his pockets then suddenly broke out mrs malone i'll give one of my eyes to go to be up and doing and get out into the world especially to the east isn't it hard lines one moment to be offered a splendid chance and the next to have it snatched away i suppose you couldn't borrow she suggested looking at him over her spectacles no who would lend me money i have no security and no wealthy friends well i am not a wealthy friend douglas but i will lend you a hundred pounds i've saved a good bit and i can no no mrs malone he interrupted i couldn't accept it i know how hardly your money has been earned i know all your hateful worries your brothers with servants and coal your trampings into the grove and up and down these confounded stairs but douglas you can pay me back by degrees no you would run a poor chance of seeing your hundred pounds again mr martin informed me the firm never paid in advance as cholera carried off people in a few hours cheerful wasn't it and if i were carried off where would you be here my boy and in the deepest grief well thanking you all the same i will not touch a penny of your money but i know you are long-headed and may think of some scheme for me i've got nothing to sell of any value i parted with my father's watch and it's still at the pawnbroker's worse luck his pitilessly selfish mother had borrowed ten pounds and forgotten the debt and he had been compelled to apply to his uncle shafto found his salary a very tight fight eleven pounds a month seemed to melt away in board clothes washing 
and those innumerable little expenses that cropped up in London. Anyhow, you have till Friday, you proud, obstinate boy, and before that I may be able to trash out something. I have noticed that you don't look yourself the last few weeks. Not my dear lively Douglas, tearing up and down stairs, whistling like a blackbird. Tell me the reason. And she laid a well-shaped wrinkled hand upon his arm. Then walking up and down the room, he frankly unfolded his troubles. The approaching marriage of his mother. This was no news and in an agitated and incoherent manner his desperate predicament with regard to Cossy Larcher. The poor boy, said his listener to herself, that man-hunting determined little cat has got her claws into him. I have seen the vulgar made up minxed without education, fortune, or modesty trying to carry off a gentleman cousin but she shan't have him no by hook or by crook he must be got out of the country as sure as my name is joyce malone End of chapter six